Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. You may have heard, I'm doing a survey. We want to know, how do you think we can make the show better? How would you like to see Unchained and Unconfirmed expand? If you could just take a moment and go to surveymonkey.com slash r slash unchained survey 2019. That's surveymonkey.com slash r slash unchanged survey 2019. Your answers will be a huge help to me and my team here at Unchained and Unconfirmed. Also, those who answer the survey can enter to win one of five free Casa Bitcoin Lightning Notes, plus a free year of Casa's Gold membership, including a multi-sig security app for iPhone and Android, a Trezor hardware wallet, a Casa Faraday bag, and 24-7 support. Those of you interested in learning more about Casa or about protecting your Bitcoin investment generally should check out my interview with CEO Jeremy Welch. Thank you to Casa for donating. Are you ready for global cryptocurrency money laundering regulations? CypherTrace secures the crypto economy with powerful AML tools for exchanges, crypto businesses, and regulators. Today's guest is Dante Desparte, Head of Policy and Communications for Libra. Welcome, Dante. Thank you, Laura. Happy to be on the program. You've had a big week. For those listeners who were under a rock earlier this week, Facebook unveiled its plans for its cryptocurrency, Libra. Dante, just to make things clear for listeners, can you distinguish between the roles of Facebook, Libra, and Calibra in this system? Sure. So at the outset, I work for Libra Association. So I I head policy and communications for the association. And the association is comprised today of 28 founding members, including Facebook. Um, You have groups like Visa, MasterCard, Uber, Lyft, social impact partners like Kiva, Women's World Banking, Mercy Corps, among others. And that's going to be a continually growing uh, list of founding partners of the association. The association will do three primary things in this project. Uh, The first is to provide overall governance. The second is to provide a reserve feature and treasury feature backing every Libra digital currency. And the third is to manage the technology roadmap as an open source blockchain project. So those are the three roles of the association. Facebook, of course... Um, as a founding partner and really the, the firm that has helped incubate this project, um, has been driving the early technology development, but has now shifted that as an open source project under the association. And Facebook has also simultaneously launched its own digital wallet called Calibra, which will be an on-ramp that will facilitate access to Libra and payments through Libra across uh, its multitudes of platforms, such as WhatsApp, Messenger, um, and as a standalone solution. And within the Libra Association, there's the association itself, the council, and the board. Can you also differentiate those for listeners? Yeah. So, so you know, like any nonprofit organization, um, especially one with this type of governance structure and uh, the vision ultimately 
is to do two things. One is to create the sim a simple global currency and a financial infrastructure that can empower billions of people. Um, an assignment that big and a mission that big, of course, requires governance and, and uh, leadership. So the, the, the board of the association will be kind of an ultimate governance body that will, um, each member of that uh, group will have the same vote, the same weight. Um, there's no proportionality to that. It, it's really meant to be very democratic and require um, one-thirds votes uh, on certain certain decisions relating to the digital currency, the reserve features, and governance. And that really just ensures that there's a, an equal weighting in that coalition. Uh, a council as well um, effectively would sort of mirror the type of governance that you see in these types of associations around the world that um, you will stay a little bit closer to the action from an operational point of view. And that count, and that, that those two organizations and bodies here are um, still in the design phase of a charter for the association, as well as the search for um, an overall head, a, a managing director, if you will, uh, to drive the organization. So it's very early days yet. And tell us more about yourself, your background, and how you came to be in this role. Yeah, so it's it's um, uh, such a fascinating journey, as you know, Laura. The um, you know at first when you first encounter blockchain and cryptocurrencies, it requires a suspension of disbelief, um, especially when you think about our economy and our financial and political systems. They, they tend to be heavily centralized. They tend to be very opaque. They tend to be um, friction laden. And so when you first encounter this technology, you, 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 of course, are, are, you go down the rabbit hole very, very fast. And so in my case, <laughs> um, you and I first met on uh, Necker Island back in 2017. Um, a, a, an important year, I think, for blockchain, but also an important year for the world as it, um, Puerto Rico, where I'm from, was flattened by a series of hurricanes, as was Necker Island. And all of a sudden, the urgency of moving to a world that was more equitable, that created more opportunity, and where you could sort of leverage technology to drive social impact, it just stopped being abstract for me. And so from then, I've spent, um, courtesy of your kind uh, introductions, I spent the last 24 months chronicling the development of this technology in Forbes, and then working really hard to make it acceptable uh, in the halls of power around the world. So, you know, lo and behold, here I stand before <laughs> cameras uh, <laughs> trying to defend crypto and blockchain uh, in front of the entire planet. And you, I just out of curiosity was wondering, because you have been based in DC for a long time, will you be moving to Geneva for this role? Yeah, that is the plan. And candidly, you know, other than my wife uh, indicating that I always score expatriate opportunities in cold countries, I'm very <laughs> much excited to moving to Switzerland and to Geneva specifically. Um, so yeah, so I will be taking up uh, the, the assignment based out of Geneva with the headquarters. And um, clearly, the goal there is to be very much plugged into civil society and to international organizations, which would call Geneva home, so that this becomes as much a global project um, and not a U.S.-centric effort. And just uh, to to fill reader listeners in, I think you had previously also lived in Denmark, which is maybe <laughs> what you meant about the cold country. <laughs> exactly. I lived in Denmark for nearly seven years, um, where most expats don't last but a couple. So um, <laughs> so I have a great affinity for, for Europe and um, looking forward to living there again. So what's your response to the number one concern that's being expressed about Libra, which is that Facebook, which has a poor track record regarding privacy, is now launching a system that will have financial data on billions of people, potentially, potentially. 
Well, you know, so so there there there's a general tendency on the planet, which of course hasn't spared any organization or any institution, um, marked by a really really precipitous decline in institutional trust. The Edelman Trust Barometer picks this up, and it's true of public for-profit, non-profit organizations the world over. So I think there's a there's a broad, broad megatrend on the planet around institutional trust and a decline in institutional trust. Um, for my part, I wouldn't want to be a part of an organization or a project that um, would only amplify that erosion of trust. And I think at the design level, when you really, really start to, uh, you know, intuit what is being built here and how it is being built and how Facebook and by virtue of the association, has really put great checks and balances on its power. Um, this is as close as you can get to creating something that can serve ultimately as a public good. Um, so I think there's a huge opportunity that, at, at a high level to really expand finance and its capabilities. In response to the direct question about trust and the commingling of personal data, payment data, and social media data, um, part of the reason I think Facebook has established a separate subsidiary that would be registered and regulated like a financial institution would is to create a clear firewall between payment information and personally identifiable information. And the association itself understands clearly that we don't exist in a vacuum of financial regulations. Um, so, you know, I've been incredibly eager to continue the dialogue with regulators and policymakers around the world, um, where I think, frankly, blockchain and cryptocurrencies go a long way further than traditional fiat currencies in the issues regulators care about, like anti-money laundering, fraud, traceability, this type of uh, opportunity. Um, blockchain does more for that uh, than self-reporting, which we typically see from financial institutions. Yeah, I think the one concern is that even though Calibra will be a subsidiary, that because the wallets will be rolled out on Messenger and WhatsApp, that kind of just immediately out of the gate gives Calibra potentially, you know, the same kind of uh, reach and power as Facebook, at, at least in terms of the amount of data that it can collect and, you know, its financial data. So I think, um, you know, and then to have uh, sort of the DNA of Facebook uh, managing that data, I wonder if if that's also part of the concern. You know, like this is meant to be an open system, and other companies eventually should be able to build on it, et cetera. But there's only really one entity that has the kind of reach, you know, uh, other than maybe like well, a WeChat I think, or something. I think if you, if you look at the first the composition of the 28 founding members in total, you have organizations that often are in direct competition with one another, whether it's Visa and MasterCard or Uber and Lyft. Um, you have companies like Vodafone, which, of course, um, have great opportunities in terms of mobile payments and penetration in different geographies around the world. Um, Mercado Pago in, in Latin America. So, uh, you know, even at the beginning of this effort, which we, of course, acknowledge with the humility it deserves, this is a very, very um, long arc uh, and a long, long-term project that we're embarking on. There's an acknowledgement that it has to drive competition, that the technology has to meet the, the most uh, scrupulous standards of being an open source technology. And that on top of that, there has to be, you know, competition, healthy competition. Um, and so if you think about what Libra really is aspiring to do and what the Libra blockchain is empowering the world to do, it is to do for payments and money transfer what the internet did for communication and information sharing. Um, and so, you know, naturally at the outset, 
uh, pulling on board the opportunities that each of those 28 founding members represent, the types of use cases, the types of innovations they will see, and the on and off ramps into Libra. Um, we will move, hopefully, uh, you know, finance and payments into a new terrain without sacrificing the, the trust and the type of security you and I take for granted. We're going to talk more about what the scale of this project means for users and governments in a moment. But first, a quick word from our fabulous sponsors. Ready or not, the Financial Action Task Force anti-money laundering recommendations soon go into effect globally. If you handle cryptocurrencies, no matter where you do business, these new AML laws will apply to you. CypherTrace helps exchanges, ICOs, funds, brokerages, and regulators understand and manage crypto asset and compliance risks. Learn how to reduce your exposure and prepare now for tough new regulations. CypherTrace is securing the crypto economy. Learn more at cyphertrace.com slash unconfirmed. Hey, everyone. Don't forget, Unchained is doing a survey. And if you give us your feedback, you can be entered to win some pretty awesome prizes. We want to know, how do you think we can make the show better? How would you like to see Unchained expand? Please take a moment and go to surveymonkey.com slash r slash Unchained Survey 2019. That's surveymonkey.com slash r slash Unchained Survey 2019. It won't take long, I swear. And when we get all your feedback, Unchained will be even better than before. What more could you want than that? Okay, okay, there is something more you could want. You could maybe want to win some of the prizes we're giving out to survey respondents. You could be one of the five lucky people to win a free Casa Bitcoin Lightning Node, plus a free year of Casa's Gold membership, including a multi-sig security app for iPhone and Android, a Trezor hardware wallet, a Casa Faraday bag, and 24-7 support. Those of you interested in learning more about Casa or about protecting your Bitcoin investment generally should check out my interview with CEO Jeremy Welch. Thank you to Casa for donating. Again, the URL is surveymonkey.com slash r slash unchained survey 2019. Go there now to give us your thoughts on the future direction of Unchained and enter the giveaway. Back to my conversation with Dante Desparte of Libra. The Senate has called a hearing on Libra and the French finance minister has said that Libra must not become a sovereign currency. How do the Libra Association and Facebook intend to overcome any governmental obstacles? Like if a government or if governments request changes to the design of the network between now and launch, will you accommodate those? Well, what what um, clearly conversations leading up to the announcements that that have um, dominated the headlines over the last couple of days, um, conversations with regulators and policymakers have been ongoing. Um, I note, of course, uh, you know, general positive sentiments, if you will, from some of the central bankers around the world, which have expressed that you know there is a clear utility. Um, for this type of solution, that it has to be designed with the right um, sensibilities and with the right reflection of macroprudential standards, an area of personal sort of expertise and understanding for me. But um, but let's also push back a little bit on the question of many are going to be asking and many have asked, what are the risks if this project succeeds? Let me explain what are the risks if we fail. Today, finance and our current economy and the way we organize things primarily using analog systems, has left 1.7 billion people without access to a bank. A rough equal number has um, are on the margins. They're underbanked. 40% to 50% of the American public can't withstand a $400 financial setback. 
And all of it, in no small measure, is born out of a system that has to do checks and balances and KYC and anti-money laundering checks in a largely manual self-reporting way in largely in, uh, in, in, in networks and payment networks that aren't interoperable with one another. So as a consumer, the second you are on the wrong side of the perimeter of your current financial institution, you get fees, death by a thousand cuts, if you will, through fees. That happens when you travel and you use an outside um, ATM network. It happens when you want to wire money all over the world. There's a 10 to 7% uh, fee structure on remittances. And so, you know, at some level, you, you need these uncommon coalitions to form around these enormous social problems um, and, and figure out how to redefine what banking means to reach that last mile. That's one way I think the planet has a chance to address the root causes of instability. And uh, regulators, frankly, and policymakers all, all over the world care about economic competitiveness and addressing income inequality. Here we have an opportunity to do that. Well, so one thing that uh, was a little bit curious to me, so I was noting that the videos and other marketing material make it clear that Facebook really is targeting that developing world. And yet here we have India's talking about banning public cryptocurrencies. Facebook and WhatsApp are banned in China. Those are probably some of the biggest markets uh, there. So how does Facebook plan to get adoption uh, in its target audience? So I can't comment um, directly at all um, about what Facebook's plans are and how or, they would or the sort Libra of address Association. that. But, but so, so, and the association as well really operates outside of any direct customer interaction, partly because this would be governed at the country and jurisdiction level. Um, the, the aims are to build an infrastructure that serves to empower billions of people financially and pull them into the on-ramps of economic opportunity. But that has to be done clearly in very, very close consultation with partners and companies and developers and nonprofit organizations and others that would be able to plug in jurisdictionally and nationally to make this a reality. Um, you know, uh, back to the numbers that I gave you, I gave you a moment ago of that 1.7 billion, there's roughly a billion people on the planet who have access to mobile telephony and mobile data, which at some level, especially when you think about the power of blockchain and sort of uh, these types of, uh, opportunities is the bank of the future. It's not a matter of if it's already, it's, it's a, a matter of when this, this big scale transformation starts to happen. And as you pointed out already in uh, China and different countries in Asia and around the world, mobile payments and mobile banking is a reality. So in that sense, you know, countries like the United States are, are now being left behind by another divide in terms of finance and, and capital. This is not just an emerging world opportunity. I think there's a lot to be had uh, if this project succeeds in developed countries as well. But I want to ask a little bit more about the developing economies, because one thought that I had was, as I looked at this system, I was thinking that the Libra token could be highly disruptive to currencies of developing economies. So do you imagine that if Libra succeeds in the way it's been proposed, that the citizens of these countries would end up preferring to hold Libra over their national currency? And if so, what do you think the effect would be on the on those countries' currencies? 
That's a really, really good question, Laura. The um, you know, fifty percent of the world's population today are exposed to domestic currency markets and environments where you have anywhere between ten and upwards uh, in terms of volatility and value swings. And you've seen in just a number of recent examples what um, failed domestic monetary policy looks like with the collapse of Venezuela, and you also saw Venezuela's um, hail mary pass at creating the Petro, uh, you know, a supposedly asset-backed or oil-backed um, stablecoin. You've also seen this type of hyperinflation sort of uh, take hold in countries like Zimbabwe and different places around the world. So, you know, the real utility of Libra in, in at no level is meant to cre- create systemic risk nor disrupt financial uh, order in any economy on the planet. Part of the reason that's the case is that, number one, it's not a speculative asset. Um, so every instance of Libra being issued based on a supply and demand function, not a scarcity function, would be backed one-to-one with a reserve of stable assets. Obviously, the composition of that reserve is um, you know, a long way away from fully determined, but the goal is to create as close to a digital twin of the type of financial stability, central banking independence, um, again, that you and I might might uh, take for granted and that looked at through the prism of privilege that, you know, many of your listeners might understand, that reality isn't, isn't the case for billions of people around the planet. And so a financial instrument that is digitally native, that enables that, that type of facility and certainty needs to exist if the planet wants to have a global stability and create opportunity for people. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think it could be better for the citizens of those countries. I just wonder how it'll affect their governments. Um, But uh, I actually want to move on because we have limited time. Um, One other thing is that the white paper um, kind of mentions that this could also form the basis for an identity system. Would that be tied also to Facebook's to Facebook profiles? Um, I, I can't, again, you know, I don't think there is a, a linkage between payment systems and profiles. I, I think the two things clearly would be firewalled. And, you know, your social media preferences don't constitute, I think, a sufficient burden of proof to stand to meet identity systems. Where we think there are great opportunities with Libra and the Libra blockchain on identity, which, of course, is another multi-billion person uh, strong opportunity for the world to improve upon. Um, is in the type of KYC mechanisms and in the type of um, financial mechanisms that all of these wallets and all of the ubiquity of Libra being accepted um, as a payment instrument around the world creates an opportunity to start triangulating by leveraging government-issued identities and um, you know the types of on-ramps that the financial regulators and systems would like into this into this asset. So implied in in, in Libra uh, being so broadly uh, utilized, or at least has, has the opportunity to become so broadly utilized, you could really start to also chip away at the identity challenge on the planet, which like financial inclusion, there's a billion or more people who have no nationally issued ID that isn't interoperable, that um, has really created a lot of um, insidious issues, uh, where again, a network like this and this type of coalition can help uh, address that. And going back to our conversation about uh, how Libra might find itself in certain sticky situations with governments. What would the Libra Council do in situations like what we've seen with the U.S. sanctions against Iran, where Europe doesn't necessarily support those sanctions and has actually been trying to work around them? If U.S. regulators came to the Libra 
Association wanting the network to enforce sanctions. I, I'm just making up a hypothetical mm-hmm. example. And European countries didn't. What would the Libra Association do? That's a good question. So clearly, you know, abiding by prevailing laws, number one, um, whether they're OFAC sanctions, the Office of Foreign Asset Control at the Treasury Department, or um, payment sanctions, anti-money laundering uh, issues relating to terrorism finance and all the rest, a network like this will at all times, in my humble opinion, outperform a disaggregated, completely competitive um financial system that rides on analog rails. A network like this one will have um, more to do in advancing compliance standards and advancing sort of um, the regulatory and risk management standards of modern finance today than the alternative. Status quo has had a very, very long head start, and status quo has stopped at 1.7 billion people without a bank. If if trying to resolve for that uh, is wrong, not to sound too coy about it, I, I think then then, you know, we have to all look at ourselves in the mirror. Okay, so it sort of seems like you're saying that there might be cases where it would, for instance, defy the U.S. government wanting. No, 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 no not no. in the least. And and I hope Wait, that's but, not what but, you heard or, this, or what your listeners but in this, heard. But in the scenario where where there's not kind of like global consensus around the sanctions, where some, you know. Where certain countries want them and others don't. Well, so so again, the the, the association won't interact with any uh, jurisdiction. The association has three macro level functions: governance, um, management of the reserve, management of an open source technology. The companies that offer consumers and citizens in different jurisdictions around the world are the regulated entities that provide an on and off ramp to to uh, Libra, the currency. Um, clearly, as the project advances, this really paves the way for the recognition of crypto and digital assets and blockchain projects from a legal and regulatory point of view. And that's one of the reasons you need an uncommon coalition like this one to succeed. But at no level uh, would we suggest that uh, not abiding by prevailing sanctions regimes and all the rest, that would be really the subject of individual wallets, and providers um, in this ecosystem that are all among the most highly regulated entities on the planet. I couldn't help but notice that there were no banks among the founding members. And honestly, when I first was reading about the system, I thought, oh, this could really disrupt the banking system. So for the reserve, it seems like you actually will need banks and financial institutions to res- to store these reserve assets that back Libra. So how do you get them to help out in a system that could eventually disrupt their business or or are there other options for holding the reserve assets yeah so that's a that's a great question as well the um first i would say that you know the 28 initial founding members is just that that the goal is to build up to a list of 100 organizations by the time libra is minted and issued um and so you would expect to see in that group of 100 and even more over time um banking institutions much more uh opportunities um i think for market expansion of traditional banking, um, which is part of what would motivate some of the companies you've seen and some of the organizations you've seen in in that initial list of 28. So I think keep an eye on that space and keep an eye on that list of members. And and I'm almost certain you'll start to see some household names um, from banking. The goal here is not to disrupt uh, modern finance. It's to respect the rules of trade, the terms of engagement, and to expand the opportunity collectively to, to be able to empower billions of people. Um, so that was one point. Clearly, the reserve function and the treasury management function um, is a very, very substantial part of this that, that similarly has to comply 
um, with uh, prevailing norms in terms of managing assets and and keeping things in sort of safe hands and the care, custody of control of large financial institutions. And so there too, there will be a very, very clear partnership with banks, central banks and regulators in, in targeted geographies around the world. The association will also be establishing a social impact grant making program. What kinds of goals are you trying to achieve with that? Well, that's one of, frankly, from a personal point of view, that that is one of the um, things I'm most excited about. And I think there's a great opportunity there. So the social impact grant program, um, again, will be established and will be put in motion. But the idea there is you could envision, for example, partnerships with um, UNHCR on, on uh, refugees and sort of the types of large scale displacements of people that um, have them lose access to their homes, lose access to to um, normal. And when you have the opportunity to start really plugging in the diaspora communities from around the world through remittance corridors, as one example, if we can give back to the $715 billion global remittance cash flow, a couple percentage points in, in price reduction and an instantaneous delivery like we enjoy with messaging and, 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 and so on, um, think about the impact from a social point of view. So those types of innovations and linkages, we think the association can help catalyze through the social impact grant program, among many others. And so we're, we're looking forward to opening up that process as, as in addition to continuing to recruit nonprofit organizations and social impact organizations as a part of the founding membership. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing how all of this stuff plays out from kind of what looks like regulatory headwinds from the outset, but then also what uh, are very ambitious and laudable goals. So um, thanks for coming on Unconfirmed. Thank you so much, Laura. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast player. If you haven't yet taken the Unchanged survey or entered to win a free CASA note, do so now at surveymonkey.com slash r slash unchanged survey 2019. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Fractal Recording, Anthony Yoon, Daniel Nuss, and Rich Straffolino. Thanks for listening.